I want to talk about uh, my theme today is Victorious Church. Last week it was Victorious Prayer. They tie together. Uh, I'm talking about victory. Uh, victory now, victory is a must. We must have, does anybody feel like you must have victory? Anybody feel like you, you, you literally, America has to have a victory? Christians must have a victory. Does anybody feel that urgency in their gut at all? Uh, righteousness must have a victory. Uh, uh, the presence of God in culture must have a victory. I mean, I can't hope you feel that way. I hope, I hope that the days of laissez-faire Christianity is over. I hope catechism, Sunday school Christianity is over. Not that Sunday school doesn't have value, but treating church like uh, it's just another synagogue day, another ho-hum, you know, check my, check my belt, you know, put a mark in my gun, whatever, make sure, yep, oh, yeah, we went there. Spend an hour with Jesus, glory to God. You know, just, I'm hoping those days are over, that, that we're becoming a cultural transformation people. Hallelujah. So, Victorious Church. Um, Luke 11, 1, I'm going I'm to pick it up at verse 1, and then uh, verse 9 of Matthew 6, where Jesus continues the conversation. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And then picking it up in Matthew 6, verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Spowerheads, Father, we ask you to just move richly in our hearts today, open up the eyes of our understanding, uh, wherever there's blindness, wherever there's uh, doctrines that are keeping us, teachings, instruction, modeling, examples, family dynamics that keep us from who we are and who you've meant us to be in the Christ. Let those be broken today. Let our minds be renewed. Let our minds be renewed. We welcome the transformation, the transformation that comes through a renewed mind. And everybody said, amen. amen. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, one day in prayer I heard, uh, one day in prayer I heard, Decree a spirit-filled city manager comes to the city. Now, I kind of knew what that meant uh, because uh, in my vernacular, I kind of know what a spirit-filled Christian is. In my vernacular, from my background, the Lord was kind of talking my language, and I kind of know what a non-spirit-filled Christian is. So he was kind of speaking to me in my language. And, and what he meant by that was uh, he meant uh, not just a wonderful Christian, not just a, 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 a strong Christian or a good Christian, but a Christian who understands the Pentecostal experience, the Pentecostal dynamic, and that they are open to and that they move in the gifts of the Spirit. So all nine of the gifts of the Spirit, the supernatural gifts of the Spirit out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so I knew what he meant when he said that, but I said, I literally in prayer, I said, no, Lord. <laughs> I'm like, that's, that's a little too big, Lord. That's, 
That's a little too big. Let's, let's calm down. And so we had a little bit of an argument going on in prayer. But he prevailed. He said, no, no, this is what you need to decree. This is what you need to require. This is what you need to release. This is what you need to announce. This is what you need to prophesy. And here was the atmosphere. The atmosphere was us as a church uh, about 1999. So we have been going for eight years. And the atmosphere in the city was very negative. This might have been around 2000, actually. So, Because uh, in 99, what happened is we started to build this building. We had bought the property. We started to build the building. Uh, we hired contractors to start. Uh, we initiated all of our permits with the city, and then the neighboring property owners along the west side, about 700 feet long, uh, hired an engineering firm, engineering surveying firm, and declared in, uh, that, that they owned 15 feet of our property. And the declaration was they owned that property because they had been using it for farming. And so then they said, well, since we've used it for 10 years, it's our land under uh, uh, adverse possession laws in our state. So that's just one of the issues that was going on. So when that happened, uh, they went to the city, reported to the city that we were building on their land, and the city pulled our permit. So that was just one of the issues. Another issue was a road issue out front. Uh, the city was demanding that before we could build, even though our we hired traffic engineers and everything under the sun, uh, they the city uh, was requiring that we build out the road with a turning lane, sidewalk, curb, gutter, and a bike lane, even though traffic studies showed we wouldn't impact on a Sunday morning the traffic in such a way that a turning lane would be needed. So as we were praying as a church, as we're fasting and praying and seeking the Lord and, and declaring that the Lord is going to cause our construction to go forward, suddenly the city had this crazy change of mind about city government. And they decided to no longer be led by a mayor, but rather the mayor would be just the chief of the council and that they would hire a city manager to run the city. So lo and behold, I got an, a letter to the church office, uh, the church office that they had tried to close us down several times uh, and uh, kicked us out of our building and done this. You know, just the stories were... We were living the This Present Darkness book. So if you're old enough to remember the Frank Peretti books, we were living this present darkness. New demons would appear each week. And uh, so we get this letter telling us about this change of city government and that they had five candidates that they were interviewing over at the Five Community Center and that the whole city was invited to come out and meet the candidates. So, crazy enough, I went to that meeting. It was kind of a meet and greet with, you know, hors d'oeuvres and this and that. And I went to that meeting, and crazy enough, I met a gentleman there who immediately uh, talked to me about the Lord. Uh, when he found out I was a pastor, uh, he shared that he 
was a spirit-filled believer, uh, that he attended a four-square church in Oregon, uh, and uh, that he believed in the spirit-filled experience and wanted to know more about us. And, and uh, so we continued in this declaration that God would grant us, that God would grant us a breakthrough. Uh, by the way, his name was Joseph. Somebody else got a breakthrough out of Egypt uh, or in an, a situation involving Egypt with a Joseph. And so we just continued to declare this. And you know who of the five candidates was brought in to take over the city management? It was Joseph. And within just a couple of months of him coming on the job, uh, he called me up in the office one day and he said, Pastor Duane, I want you to come in and meet with us. Uh, meet with me. He said, I've been going through your file. I can't believe what the city's been doing to you. And we're going to bring it to an end. And that was the beginning. And really that, I think, uh, he wasn't with the city all that long, a couple of years. And, and he moved on. But, but I really believe the purpose of him coming uh, was to assist us. And, and this was God moving. This was God moving. How, how did these things happen? We were learning authorities, what we were learning, by the way, in the process. We were learning our authority. We were learning to partner with God. We were learning to not just petition to heaven, but we were learning to decree from heaven. So God was doing things with us and shifting and confirming our theology as a people as he answered these prayers and declarations. Many of you know we've had many subsequent stories. I love to tell some of these stories during the Restored Life Seminar uh, under the topic of restoration because God loves to restore, but many times God requires that we partner with him in declarations against the demonic, against the enemy, against the arguments that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. And so uh, we were learning from these things. One morning, the boys were young. I told the boys I was going to tell a story about them today. Uh, the boys were young. I think Caleb was about 13 or 14. We bought him a motorbike for Christmas. We thought it was going to be the coolest thing ever. It was a motocross motorbike. We had it behind the neighbor's house, so they had to go on a giant excursion, a scavenger hunt, to find it. Finally, they found the motorbike. So one day, I took the boys out motorbike riding. We went out motorbike riding, and when we brought it back, I left it in the trailer in front of the house. Well, we know some people shop where we used to live. And so in the morning, it was gone. And uh, so, you know, we, we freaked out, but we had to drive to Oregon that day. We had to drive to Oregon to a family reunion, so we, we freaked out. Joel started praying, and all the way to Oregon, she was praying that the people who had it, their hands would burn. <laughs> and I started declaring that Satan would bring that motorcycle back. Now, there's something interesting here that the carnal realm is very much married to the demonic realm. And we can't think that the carnal realm acts independently. It doesn't. When carnality is at work, so also is the demonic. There is no such thing as spiritual neutrality. So we started, I started all the way to Oregon. I told the boys, I said, the Lord's going to bring that motorcycle back. We're going to get that motorcycle back. You watch. God's going to bring that motorcycle back. 
and the enemy is going to return that motorcycle. So all the way down under my breath and all the way back from our family reunion down in Salem, Oregon, I'm commanding the enemy to return that motorcycle. In the name of Jesus, return that motorcycle. And she's praying, may may their hands burn. We no sooner got in the van about 2.30 in the afternoon, 3.30, something like that. We got in the van down in Salem, Oregon, and uh, we're on our way back, and uh, we were barely in the car. My phone rings. It was a big, giant cell phone, about 50 pounds with a cord on it, and a giant antenna. And I answered my phone, and it was the Puyallup Police Department. And they said, Mr. Wolf, yes. And they said, uh, are you the owner of a green Kawasaki motorcycle? And I said, said, yes, I am. And they said, well, we have an odd situation that's developed here today. We had a gentleman call us, and he said he wants to return a motorcycle to you. And I said, well, do you know who it is? Well, yes, kind of, sort of. He's kind of a known thief in the area. But he, uh, we agreed to his terms. And I said, well, what in the world are his terms? Well, he wants to return it to a certain spot down on 12th Street behind a gym, down uh, in the valley in Puyallup at a certain time. And he's going to lean it against a telephone pole. Uh, and, uh, and we agreed if he'll just leave it, you know, if he'll just bring it there, we'll just, we'll just let it go and we won't worry about it. Are you okay with that? I'm- yeah, it'd be fine. So our motorcycle was returned. And somebody got cool hands. So the Lord was building our faith, though, and he was teaching us that iniquity, he was teaching us that carnality, he was teaching us that unclean behavior is tied to the demonic realm, that there's demonic inspiration that happens in people when they engage in things that offend and violate and harm other people. When they work against the law of love, they're working with the demonic realm. So the Lord was teaching us more and more about this and how we could make a demand in the spirit realm that we had a partnership with Holy Spirit, a partnership with Jesus, Jesus in the spirit realm, and we could make a demand over the enemy. And should we make that demand, it actually would come to pass. And so, oddly enough, on a Sunday morning, something about motorcycles and devils, but uh, oddly enough, on a Sunday morning, uh, we had left the gate to our backyard cracked open, and somebody came in and took Sterling's Wee 90. We came home from church, the Wee 90 was gone. And so, you know what we started doing? We started commanding the Pee Wee 90 come home. And we started demanding that the enemy replace and restore the Pee Wee 90. Right? I never gave up. I never let it go. I never changed my mind. I never said, oh, well, I think it's gone. Oh, well, we'll just give that up. I never said, oh, well. I said, nope. The enemy's going to restore that Pee Wee 90. Some four years later, we get a call from the Sheriff's Department, Puyallup, uh, Pierce County Sheriff's Department. Mr. Wolf, yeah? are you the owner of a small blue motorcycle, a Yamaha PW90? Yes, I am. That's what we thought. It looks like, according to the VIN number, you're the registered owner of this motorcycle. We had it turned in today to the Sheriff's Department. Would you like to claim it? Four years later. I mean, even though we claimed it. It goes on. One day we had our jet skis stolen from the front of our house. A lady had actually taken pictures and posted them on Craigslist, pretended she owned them, 
sold them to a gentleman who didn't care she didn't have a title. We started commanding the jet skis come back. I went on Como and did a television spot to have our jet skis restored. We started commanding the devil, bring back our jet skis. The Lord is our advocate and our attorney. He will watch over this. The Holy Spirit will see to it that the enemy restores our jet skis, and he will restore them by August 8th by summer camp. So we will have our jet skis for summer camp. On August 8th, our jet skis were brought back to our house, restored to us. Mrs. Wolf picked them up to the van and drove with the jet skis to summer camp. It's a, it's a crazy story, a wild story, a little bit of a longer story, of which we don't have time for today. But the Lord was teaching us something. Last year, we bought a house. Last year, the devil tried to steal our house. Almost every day, Satan was trying to steal our house from us. Almost every day, I had to demand that the enemy release our house. Today, we're living in our house. It's a long story. It was a six-month story. A six-month story of not giving up. A six-month story of lies and deceit and mystery and intrigue. Uh, But we got a discount on the house as well. And the enemy gave it up. And we're living in our house. And some of you have been to Lake Day at the house. And others of you need to come. Because it's the Lord's house. And the Lord did the miracle. What are we saying? What are we learning? What are we learning? We're in a crisis right now. How do these things happen? How do we get these breakthroughs? We have to realize that we are one with Jesus. Jesus is the victor. Last week I told you that one of the central things that we have to realize is that Jesus is seated in heavenly places and is the victor, not in his divinity only, but in his humanity. That he triumphed on behalf of humanity. He triumphed over Satan, over hell, over the grave, over sin, over the curse, And he did it not just that we would be forgiven. He did it that we would reign in life. 2 Timothy 2.12 says we will reign with him. Romans 5.17, we reign in life. We who have received this abundance of grace, we reign in life. That doesn't mean that we're the tail. It means we're the head and not the tail. He fulfilled the scripture given to Israel. In Deuteronomy 8 and Deuteronomy 28, he's made us the head and not the tail, but too often we're acting like the tail instead of the head. And then we say things like, oh well, and I guess God didn't mean for, and we build theologies around tailism instead of headism. And then we commiserate with one another in our misery over our tailism. As life is wagging us instead of us wagging life. We're seated together with him in heavenly places. It's a mystery, but even right now, though your physical body is here, your spiritual engagement, your spiritual authority, your spiritual power, your spiritual uh, uh, potential is literally tied up in him, the perfect man, who's presenting you before the Father as perfect as well because you're hidden in him. 
And all of the potential that belongs to him, all of the power, all of the promises, all of the gifting, everything that God has bestowed on him, you are hidden in all of that right now at the right hand of the Father with him. And to change life, and and we should be sick and tired of being sick and tired. We should be sick and tired of where the world is headed. We can do something about it if we would throw away our commiserating theology and throw away it's got to get worse theology. And face what we're facing now with courage, with faith, with bravery, with boldness, with declarations, with prophetic insight, Ephesians 2, let me read it to you. I love this. Ephesians 2, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved, and God raised us up with Christ, the anointed one, the anointed human the anointed man, the triumphant human, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us that he might show these riches, this grace, incomparable, that he might show it to us. We have to throw away our woe is me-ism. We have to throw away our powerless viewpoint and our powerless theology. We have to throw away that church is just a gathering of commiserators who, who get a goosebump during a worship song and then go back out to face the miseries of life. We have to throw it away. Worship is not meant to be dr- wine to get you drunk because life is so bad that you forget your problems during worship. Worship is meant to get you drunk enough that you embolden yourself in the spirit to go out and face the enemy, face the enemy head on and overcome in this life. Don't forget about your problems. Get so drunk in his presence that you realize that his word over your problems is greater than the problem. That there's no devil, there's no curse, there's no problem, there's no difficulty bigger than the anointing of his wine on you in worship. And that same wine goes with you into the marketplace and everywhere we go. Incomparable riches. For it's by grace you've been saved. Through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works so no one can boast. For we are his handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You know what the good work that Jesus did was? Acts 10.38. He went about doing good works. Healing all who were oppressed of the devil. One thing we've forgotten in the church is that we have an enemy. 
We have an enemy. And the enemy doesn't go away just because you sing happy songs. So we're one with him. We're seated with him. We don't pray to heaven only. We pray from heaven, from where we're seated. We don't throw away petition because we're not omniscient. I don't know everything. I don't throw away petition. But petition's not all I do. Petition's not all I do. Why? Because as I enter in and as I spend time with him, John 16, we shared it with you last week, the Holy Spirit, I'm sending the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's not going to talk about himself. He's going to talk about me, and the Holy Spirit's going to show you and tell you all about me, and he's going to tell you what I'm thinking, and he's going to tell you truth, and he's going to tell you what I desire, and, and you're, the Holy, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Why would he send the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the communicating agent of God to coach us and to lead us and to show us and to encourage us so that we can then function as we are, who we are at the very right hand of the Father. So not all of our, if all of your prayers are petition, you're missing half of who you are. Because as a co-ruler with Jesus, as he shows me, as the Holy Spirit reveals the heart of Jesus, the supreme man, the one who is now in charge of the entire earth, the one who Daniel saw ascending, the one who is the stone or the rock that was hewn out that becomes the leader of every nation, who subdues every empire and leads the greatest empire. When he speaks and we come to know his will, then we have the privilege to decree his will, to declare his will, to bring forth his will. We're not wondering about his will. We have the privilege to co-labor with him, with his will. By the way, you are his mouth. He doesn't have another one. Take up the sword of the Spirit. Take up. Take up. Put on the full armor of God. And why don't you take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Where should you put the word of God? Should you put it in a hanky? Should you hide it? How about let's put the word of God in your mouth. Put the word of God in your mouth. That's where the words should go. And it's a sharp two-edged sword. It's a sharp sword. Amen? Our assignment, our assignment is not just to save the lost or disciple the nations. Our assignment is to rule over darkness and to set the cultural agenda for the earth. Now, I'm convinced that we haven't been doing this. I'm convinced that half of the church doesn't even believe this. When I say church, I mean the global church. Half of the global church believes that everything going on right now is really great. It's really wonderful. It's really fabulous. Half of the global church doesn't get this. At least half of the global church doesn't get this. That isn't going to last. God's restoring the church. He's rebuilding the church. He's remaking the church. He's reviving the church. He's taking Ichabod off of the, de- the door of the church. And the dead churches are closing down. And those buildings are becoming skating rinks and something else. I don't know. If they're, they're becoming something else. Dead churches are going to die. Living churches are going to be filled 
to overcapacity crowds. God is building living stones, lively stones, and churches where people know their God and they do exploits. They know their God and they do exploits. That's what God's building. Let's go back to this prayer real quick. Matthew 6. I want to read it out of a couple of versions, and then I want to draw your attention to uh, one more passage. Pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, and this is the, uh, the King James. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as it is, as it is, as it is in heaven. Pray that way. New American, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. New American or, or uh, new, new International Version, your kingdom come, your will be done. It, it's a, by the way, it's an imperative prayer or uh, an imprecatory prayer. It, 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 it's, it demands like uh, that you come up in a level of expression. It's not, it's not like a begging prayer. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Your kingdom come. No, no, it's, a, it's a like come, your kingdom Whatever the topic is, come, your kingdom. Be done, your will. That's the attitude of this prayer. That's the attitude of this prayer. And, and then there's other teachings. I, I'm going uh, to go to uh, Matthew 16. But here's what I want to say over that prayer. If a prayer, if your prayer, petition prayer, prophetic prayer, decree prayer, worship prayer, Whatever prayer, if a prayer does not carry in it the mandate of the kingdom come, then you miss the school. You miss the lesson. Twice, Luke and Matthew, twice, it's recorded that he taught them to pray. Twice, he said, pray this way. If you're praying a different way, If you're praying a different way, if you're praying other than thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you're, you're missing the prayer school. You're missing the prayer lesson. You're not praying according to how the Lord would have you to pray. That's a great way to have an ineffective prayer. Let's go to Matthew 16, 15. Matthew 16, 15 has such a crazy revelation in it, uh, and, and I'm doing fair for time. I haven't even started my first closing. So that's good. Uh, Matthew 16, 15 has this crazy revelation in it. Um, this is where Jesus says to the disciples, who do you say that I am? Let's pick it up at verse 15 in the New American. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So he's, he's affirming him. He's, he's blessing him. He's like, wow, you heard from the Holy Spirit. This is cool. This is awesome. I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, the rock of this revelation that you've just shared, 
this revelation that others, because others, they had been having some comparative notes, by the way, in this passage. Oh, some say you're a teacher. Oh, some say you're a prophet. Oh, some say you're a great guy. Some guy, you know, and so all of this is there's like this big discussion, right? And so he turns to them and he says, well, who do you guys, you're with me every day. Who do you guys say that I am? So now Peter shares this revelation that Father has given him. It's a spiritual revelation. And Jesus is, is blessed and blessing him that he's received this revelation. And he says, upon this rock, this rock of revelation, I will build my church. Now, church is what your Bible's saying. And church is in the New Testament like 114 times. And the gates of Hades, or hell, will not overpower it, right? And then he goes on. It's good. He says, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Now, we can assume some things. We can assume he had the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He's the perfect man. Only the perfect man would have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. To come and to go, to access, to hear, to receive, to have fellowship and intimacy with the Father. Only the perfect man would have that because it comes through righteousness by which we've received as a gift because Jesus, now, his righteousness has been bestowed upon us and we've received his righteousness as a gift. But as he's talking to them, he, the one who had the keys, is saying, I'm going to give you the keys. Now, though Peter had received revelation about who he was, they hadn't received yet the gift of righteousness. They hadn't received yet the indwelling Holy Spirit. That didn't come until later in John 20, 22, when after the resurrection, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So really, they weren't even saved yet, according to our churchy theology of what salvation is. But he says there's coming a day, guys, where... It's going to dawn on you. You're going to have something. You're, you're going to have what I have. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And what he implied here, this is consistent with prayer. He meant, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven on earth, not the keys to get into heaven, not the keys to have eternal life, the keys to access, lay hold of, and bring to earth heaven. I'm going to give you the keys to heaven on earth. Amen. Consistent with the prayer, pray this way. I'm going to tell you how to pray. Pray this way. Don't pray another way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now he says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on to tell them something. He says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. So I'm tethered to heaven. It's not me binding whatever I want to bind. I'm not in charge. I'm junior charge. He's senior charge. I'm junior charge. I'm not Lord with a capital L. I'm little Lord, little L. He's big Lord, large L, uppercase, lowercase. 
But he's talking about earth, right? He's talking about earth. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Why would it be bound in heaven? What's that all about, by the way? Bound in heaven. Well, when the perfect man ascended, there was a war in heaven, Revelation 12. There was a war in heaven. When the perfect man ascended, there was no longer room for Satan. Satan was ascending to heaven, as we see in the book of Job, in Adam's authority. He usurped, stole from, deceived, and had access to heaven through Adam's authority, first Adam. Satan had been kicked out of heaven, by the way. Why would he suddenly have access to heaven if he had been kicked out of heaven? Because he was coming in Adam's authority. When Adam fell, it empowered Satan over the entire earth. But when the last Adam succeeded, when the last Adam, 2 Corinthians 15 says he's the last Adam. When the last Adam ascended, there was a war in heaven. And Michael prevailed over Satan and kicked his tail out. So not only was the curse bound in its power against man, uh, anything, that, anything Jesus accomplished in that moment, the binding and the loosing. So he loosed the blessing of the perfect man over all men who would then find themselves in him. Are you with me so far? You still here? I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, bound by the supreme man, bound by Jesus. And whatever you loosed on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And then he warned the disciples to tell no one he was the Christ. Listen to the, the Passion Translation. I've got the Amplified and the Passion, but I'm coming close to my first closing. The Passion Translation, I, I give you the name Peter a stone, and of this truth of whom I am will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church. And this truth of who I am, and this truth of who I am will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church. Now look what he says here in the Passion Translation. My legislative assembly. My what? My legislative assembly. And the power of death will not be able to overpower it. I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm to forbid on earth that which is forbidden in heaven and to release on earth that which is released in heaven. Wow. Let's try to close this out. I'm going to skip, I'm going to skip um, the whole thing I was going to preach on. I'm going to have to skip it. The life of a preacher, it is, it is a tormented life. 
you don't want this life. Because you get so wound up about something and you miss what you were going to wind up about because you get wound up about something else. You know what I want to talk to you about? I want to talk to you about the ecclesia, the church. The word church, the ecclesia in the Greek, it's in the Bible 114 times. We think it means synagogue. We think it means a place where you come and worship. Brian Simmons touches on it right there, legislative assembly. We're going to talk about what the ecclesia is God is building his ecclesia. Ecclesia existed 600 years before the New Testament was written. It's not a Bible term. It's a politic term. It's a governing term. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. We'll have fun with that one. But I want you to see this. I want you to see this. Whatever you bind will be bound. Whatever you loose will be loosed. The word bind means to forbid. It means to arrest. It means to stop. It means to disallow. Church, did you know everything, everything starts in the spirit realm? It doesn't start in the natural realm. Did you know that? Hebrews 1, Hebrews 11. These passages talk to us. Even the very fact that we're here today, Jesus didn't start in the physical realm. He started in the spirit realm. He's the Word made flesh. This cultural dilemma that we're in right now, church, we can do so much about this. We can do so much about this. We can do so much about this. You, the common, ordinary, impossibly never ordinary, supernatural Christian, you have the power to begin to shift culture. But it's not going to happen so much through petition as it's going to happen through declaration. You have power as a legislative body. You have power as the ecclesia. You have power as one who's seated in heavenly places with the Christ to forbid and to allow. To forbid and to allow. It's not the only way that we change culture. It's not the only way we disciple the nations. But it's the first way. Why is it the first way? Because you have to pray there before you go there. You have to speak there before you go there. You have to prophesy there before you go there. You have to decree there before you go there. Everything you're doing in the spirit realm is setting you up for what you're going to walk in in the natural realm. And it's not your fault, but maybe what we have today in our culture and worldwide is because we've had a generation, a church generation, who didn't know this word, who wouldn't believe this word, who, who thought it was a different way. 
but God's raising up an ecclesia. He's raising up a people who know their authority, who know who they are, who know what they're called to, who know who he is, who know what he desires, and are not hopeless over culture. They're not hopeless when they see the riots, when they see the trouble, when they see the peril, when they see the difficulty. They're not hopeless. They're not hopeless. Is there anybody not hopeless in this room? They're not hopeless. Why? Because they have a knowledge about a power that they have. That should they just begin to engage that power. And when Jesus said this, he didn't he he wasn't giving us like little trite little options. Hey guys, I'm gonna throw this out at you. Um, I'm gonna give you the keys to heaven, but um you may not want to make application of this stuff. Like it might be easier just to sing songs with, you know, the worship team all day. I, 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 I just, it may be easier just to ignore this stuff. It, it may be, I mean, you know, I'm not telling you, you actually, I'm going to give you these keys to the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and with these keys, I mean, you're going to be able to bind and loose and, and you're going to be able to bring heaven to earth. But, you know, don't worry about it. It's really not a big deal. I mean, you don't have to get engaged in this stuff. I, I, I'm just kind of talking off the top of my head. That isn't what he was saying. He was saying, folks. You're, you, you are going to shift culture. You're going to shift nations. You're going to shift societies. You're going to shift atmospheres. You're going to do stuff in secret that other people are going to wonder how this happened, but it happened because you did something in secret. You're going to re be rewarded openly because you did something in secret. You're going to get engaged in something in secret that you're going to walk in openly. You're going to have jet skis brought back to you. You know, the Lord's teaching us in little stuff, little stuff. He's teaching us, oh, you can shift your community. Oh, you can shift your city. Oh, you can shift your county. Oh, you can shift elections. Oh, you can shift the nation. Oh, you can shift policies. Oh, you can shift leadership. You can shift corporations. Oh, we can't do that. We're just little Christians. It's time we threw that stuff away. I'm on my second closing. It's time we threw that kind of theology away. Throw it away. Get it off of you. Get that hopelessness, despair. Get that fear. Get that discouragement. Get that negativity. Get that failed theology off of you. Let's stand. We'll close. Come on, say this with me. Say, here am I, Lord. I'm available, Lord. I'm available, Lord. I'm your warrior, Lord. I'm your partner, Lord. Oh, let the Holy Spirit, come on, say it with me. Let the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit who reveals the heart of Jesus, let the Holy Spirit who reveals the truth of Jesus, let the Holy Spirit who reveals the future, let him minister to my heart. Let him show me how to pray your bread with me this morning. You've got your bread and you've got your cup. This is all about communion. This is all about communion. This is all about unity. This is all about oneness. You are one with him. You are one with him. You are seated right now in heavenly places. You are seated right now in heavenly places.
You know what Jesus said? Jesus said that there was a servant mentality in the Old Testament, and the servants didn't even know what the master was up to. But he said, not the New Testament. No, 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 not when I've broken my body and presented it and shed my blood and presented it. We aren't going to have servants. Not that mentality. We're going to have friends. You're my friend. I've brought you near. In the breaking of my body and the shedding of my blood, and you're going to know what I'm up to. I'm going to share my secrets with you. You're not going to pray or declare out of stupidity. You're not going to just just run around not knowing where you're going you are going to be led by the holy spirit let's thank him this morning father we thank you for what you've done in jesus and we offer ourselves to you as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to walk with you and to express your power take the bread together Take the cup together. We say yes to you, Lord. We say yes to you, Lord. Let's worship as we close. Say yes to you, Lord. Yes, 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 yes.